appreciate very much the worship choir's ministry this morning and through this year. Today is the last day they'll be singing for us for the summer as they take a break and we'll be back in September. As you see in our bulletin, we are in a transition in our music ministry and uh, we want to be praying for God's direction. We're grateful for his provision for people like Mark Rhodes who will be filling in for us over upcoming weeks. How many of you ladies in particular, and I recognize some men do housework as well, uh, sweeping and that sort of thing, particularly in the day in which we live when women are often working outside the home and there's a shared sense of responsibility for the home. But how many of you homemakers, male or female, feel like you are a class A homemaker? Everything's clean at home. My goodness, what a humble group today. What a humble group. We discovered this last week that we were among those apparently numerous Minnesotans who have had guests come to live with them that we didn't know about. Uh, We discovered a nest of I shouldn't say we discovered the nest initially. We discovered the evidence of carpenter ants in our home. Apparently they've been quite bad this year. And so we've been talking to some extermination companies. Now my wife is a good homemaker. I mean, she keeps a clean house. We have four children, and you don't understand what that means. Three of them are teenagers. You understand what that means probably. But you know when you have somebody come to your home with a flashlight and they go down into the netherworld of your home, the basement, and they poke around in every corner, they lift up insulation that hasn't been touched since the house was built, and they shine back in there looking, you just wonder what's going through their minds. What a filthy place this is. They look around and they probe until they find what they're looking for. It creates a sense of uh, unease on the part of the homemaker, at least this one. You feel a little invaded, maybe even a little bit embarrassed, because while you pick up most of the things and you try to clean up most of the dust, there are cobwebs, and suddenly those things just stand out when there's somebody around there with a flashlight looking around. You just feel a little incomplete. And in our case, our basement uh, is not complete after 10 years of living there. It will be someday, Lord willing. But we just felt a little bit invaded because here we had an inspector who came to examine the true condition of our home. I believe that our world today is a little bit like our home. Our world today dreads the presence, the reality of the inspector with a capital I. And well, it should. Because our world is incomplete. 
It was rendered incomplete by the fall of Adam into sin. And we who are his descendants are therefore a fallen race. We are incomplete and live in an incomplete world. The evidence that we had difficulties in our home could be found in traces of sawdust here and there. Or some winged creatures that were about an inch long, but which seemed three feet long when I first saw them, flying around our home. There are evidences of problems. Our world gives evidences of its problems. It evidences its incompleteness, for example, in the philosophies of our age. In our text today in Colossians chapter 2, a text that was read earlier, verses 9 and 10, the text is preceded by a warning of the apostle. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men. Now, Paul is not knocking all philosophy. There is such a thing as a Christian philosophy, after all. But he is warning about worldly philosophies, like those that are still around today, which he describes as both empty or hollow, nothing really to them, and they are deceiving. They subtly ensnare the pride of man in order to lead him astray. Paul says to believers, don't be kidnapped by these. Well, our world today has its philosophies. There is the idea, for example, that matter is eternal. That the universe that is here has always been here, that matter is eternal, and therefore it is a denial of God's existence as the supernatural one. But many of the ideas, the rationalizations of man today are built upon this philosophy that matter is eternal. The universe has always been here. Things are now like they always have been. Then there is the philosophy or the idea that man is an evolved creature. This, of course, has become the dogma of our day. And if people do not bow the knee to this dogma then they are ridiculed. It is a denial, however, that God, as the supernatural one, especially created man. It is a deceitful philosophy and idea. And then there is the idea of the autonomy of man, that man can do what he wants to do, that there is no accountability, which, of course, is a denial of God's right to judge. These are the philosophies that, uh, in part, embrace our day, and they represent the incompleteness of humanity. Sartre said, life is an empty bubble on the sea of nothingness. How well he encapsulates where human philosophy leads, a big zero, nothingness, just as the apostle says by the Spirit, empty deception. The world evidences its incompleteness also by its various addictions. <clears throat> Ever learning yet never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. 
is one thing about the world in its incompleteness. But another is that the world is constantly trying to find something to fill up the void. A variety of addictions fill our day. There is, of course, sexual addiction that we hear more and more about, drug addiction, alcohol addiction. And then there are the great addictions that, uh, which uh, have invaded even the Church of Jesus Christ, the addiction to entertainment and pleasure, always having to have noise around or having the radio on or something playing, the television on, going to this event or going there or for that reason. The addiction to entertainment, to pleasure, evidences the incompleteness in man. He's trying to fill up what is missing. And then there is the incompleteness that is evidenced by humanity's own inhumanity. The devaluing of human life when medical professionals in our own city are seeking to end human life over the objections of the husband of that wife who lies in a comatose state. Now granted, there are many gray issues, many <clears throat> unclearly defined issues in medical ethics these days. But it seems to me we are seeing an increasing devaluing of human life. There is the needless suffering that humanity forces upon masses because of political and power conflicts. We are told that thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people may starve to death again in parts of Africa, including the Sudan and Ethiopia. Why is that? Well, it is not merely because of drought, though that's what we usually hear. But a great deal of the starvation and the inhumanity there is created because of conflicts in power groups in those countries. It's political problems. And when supplies are sent, they are not delivered to the people who are starving because they're on the other side of the political question. Man's inhumanity to man. The victimization of children. The senseless crimes that are committed against other people. What I'm trying to illustrate for you is the incompleteness of the human race. And what I've talked about are but a few, really, of the symptoms of humanity's brokenness, emptiness, separation from God, which I'm calling its incompleteness. It is true that there remains something of the image of God in every human being. But the fact is that the fall into sin ruined that image, and we all share the common traits of what it means to be sinners. We can thank God that it is just that condition of being a sinner for which God sent his Son into the world that he might deliver us. Look back a page or two in your Bible in Colossians to the first chapter in verse 13, where the apostle says, For he, God, delivered us 
from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God has done a wonderful thing in providing for us a Savior. In Jesus Christ, God provides for us a Savior who makes believing sinners whole and complete. He changes us radically from what we are by our first birth and our relationship to Adam. When we are born anew and given a relationship to the last Adam, Jesus Christ. By our first birth, we were left incomplete because of our sin. And we all gave evidence of that in one way or another. By our new birth, however, there is a completeness about us, a wholeness. Now our text today in Colossians 2, verses 9 and 10 says, and I want to read from the Living Bible as it's printed on our worship folder. For in Christ there is all of God in a human body, so you have everything when you have Christ. And you are filled with God through your union with Christ. He is the highest ruler with authority over, over every other power. First thing that we see here is that Jesus Christ is the fullness of God. In him all the fullness of deity dwells. That is, all of the divine essence, all that God is in his nature dwells in Christ. The last several months we've been talking about the God that we worship. And we looked at a variety of the truths about him. That he lives, that he gives, that he judges, that he unites, and so on. Now the Apostle says that all that is true about God, the deity, is found in Christ. The fullness is in Christ. He lacks no quality. He is missing no attribute which belongs to God. <clears throat> For all of the powers, all of the attributes, all of the essence of God is found in him. And notice that it says that this fullness, D-W-E-L-L-S, in him, dwells in him. That word means to settle down and to be at home. To settle down and to be at home. Some of you will be going on vacation this summer. And some of you may be staying in motels along the way, or a few of you may even be going to resorts where you can spend a few days or a week or two weeks relaxing and having fun. As wonderful as the accommodations may be, and even though you may unpack your suitcase and put the clothes in the drawers of the dresser or the chest there in the room, where you'll be staying, you're not really going to be at home. You're not going to be able to settle down and really relax like you do in that home which may not be quite as lavishly appointed as that room or that suite where you're staying. The bed at home may have a few lumps in it. 
It may even have a few low spots or a big low spot. Or it may even have its waves after years of lying in the same place. And that motel bed feels hard, flat, and you sort of get used to it, but it's not home. You really settle down when you come back home. The Bible says that the fullness of God finds its comfortable resting place in Jesus Christ. All that God is fits in him. That's where it belongs. That's where it resides. That's where it dwells. And notice the S on the end. It's, it's continuous. It's present. It's, it's always true that the fullness of God continually dwells in Jesus Christ in bodily form, even today. He has a glorified body, but he is in a body in heaven, and the fullness of God dwells in him. There is no incompleteness in Jesus, you see. Now he goes on to say in the 10th verse something that's most amazing. He says, and in him you have been made complete. Now you need to park there for a moment and let that try to, to soak into your mind just a little bit. You have been made complete in Christ. The word is actually the same root word as the word fullness in verse 10. It can be read this way. And this is the way uh, Dr. Kenneth Wiest translated it. And you are in him, having been completely filled full with the present result that you are in a state of fullness. The previous verse said that the fullness of all that God is dwells in Christ. And now he tells us, and you are filled full in him. The same idea of fullness. Now, this does not mean, of course, that you and I become God when we become Christians. <clears throat> but it does mean that God gives to us a complete salvation. With everything that we will ever need given to us at that moment. Tonight we'll be looking at this text a little more, but in 2 Peter 1.3... Peter writes, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything. And in John chapter 1 and verse 16 it says, For of his fullness we have all received. Of Christ's fullness and all that that means about him, we have have all received grace upon grace. We share in the goodness of the nature which God is. Having been made full, he says, with the continuous result that we are always complete because of our union with Jesus Christ. Do we need a right standing with God? Sinners do. 
because sinners have a wrong standing with God. Sinners are on the judgment side. They need to be transferred from that kingdom to the kingdom of God's Son. We get a new position in Jesus. The Bible calls it justification. We are declared righteous in God's God's sight. No longer are we sinners as God sees us, but we are declared his people who are saints and righteous. We are justified. Do we need a right standing with God? We get that in Jesus. It's provided. Well, do we as people in this world desire to have some kind of purpose in life? Do we desire to have some reason for being here in this world and going through its experiences? Of course, we want some kind of sense to it. That's why the world struggles with all these philosophies. What is the meaning of life? Well, in Jesus Christ we have that, for we've been sanctified. What that simply means is that God has set us apart for his purpose. And so now we have purpose. It's God's purpose for us being here. We may not understand all that that means at this point, but we know there's a reason for what we experience. We're sanctified. What about our sins? What about those things that we do that are wrong, that are displeasing to God, even after we become His children? The Bible says we have pardon. Do we need that? We're deceiving ourselves if we say we don't. Every day we need to come to Him in open acknowledgement of our lives. But in Christ we always have pardon. There is no limit to God's forgiveness. God is always willing to extend mercy to us and to restore us. We have that. But what about beyond this life? If we have purpose, what about beyond death? Do we have anything there in Christ? (laughs) Well, that's the best. The best is yet to come. We are glorified in Christ. What that means is that we are going to inherit His glory. And we will live in glory forever. Yes. In Christ we have everything. All our needs in this world and in the next are met in Jesus Christ. We lack nothing. That is our position. It's permanent. How nice it would be if we could all practice that. Because all of us experience still incompleteness, Because we haven't learned yet how to appropriate fully our fullness. That's what growing is about. That's what we hope to talk about as we get into 2 Peter. How do we learn more to to get our hands on that which belongs to us in Christ? How do we get that applied into our lives? How do we grow? Well, tonight we talk about the foundation of it all. 
No, there's none of us that has fully yet appropriated the fullness that we have in Christ. But folks, the first thing we need to do before we actually begin appropriating is to recognize it. And to go to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 10 and to write that across our minds and across our hearts when it says, and in Christ you have been made full. Complete. As David said in Psalm 23, 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not, what? Want. He said, I have everything. And through the rest of the psalm, he enumerates the fullness of the sheep of the Lord. Well, I tell you, there are some wonderful implications to this completeness. In the first place, it means that you can do all things through Christ. When Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians, he wrote some other letters too. He was in prison. He was uh, under arrest in Rome, chained to guards. It was his first imprisonment. And he wrote to the Ephesians. He wrote to a brother named Philemon. And he wrote to the Philippians as well as the book of Colossians. Four books written during that period of time. And to the Philippians, the apostle made a wonderful claim in that fourth chapter. He said, I can do all things through Christ, who, what? Strengthens me. Who strengthens me. Do you have an opportunity for witness out there in front of you, and you're saying to yourself, how in the world will I ever be able to do that? How am I going to go back home this summer and see my grandmother or see my parents? How am I going to go and stay with my brother and sister-in-law and be a witness to them? What am I going to say? Where will I get the courage? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You're complete in Christ. He will give you what you need in that moment. Are you facing a difficult decision? Maybe it's whether to retire early. Maybe it's whether to pull the plug on a business. Maybe it's whether you ought to be married. How do you know if it's the right decision? You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You're complete in Christ. In Him you will find direction and wisdom and insight to guide you. Paul says in that very same context in Philippians 4, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Because you are complete in Jesus Christ, my friend, you also can be content in every circumstance. Are you passing through a time of material prosperity? Or is it uh, the other end of the spectrum? My wife sat down on the bed last night just as I was falling to sleep to talk for a while. Not the first time. I don't know what there is about communication in a marriage. 
It's hard to find that time when both of you really feel like communicating, doesn't it? And so I got my toothpicks out, propped them in my eyes. She didn't talk long. She said, I have discovered a principle. And she said, it's profound, and I know it's going to surprise you. And I got my pen out. And I said, what is it? She said, it seems to me that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. <laughs> now, she wasn't claiming originality, mind you. Just profundity. We talked about that for a while. And you know, literally, that is true. And especially in the socio-economic situation we're in our country today. The middle class is being squeezed, and it's going both directions, most of it down. I don't know where this message finds you economically, but can you learn to be content with what God brings to you? Paul says, whether I abound or I have little, I'm content. I've learned, he says, to be content in whatever state I am. I used to laugh when I heard Vernon McGee say that that proves that the Apostle Paul could not be from Texas because he said, I've learned to be content in whatever state I am, and no Texan could ever say that. Well, he wasn't talking about a geographical setting. He was talking about the quality of life. And here he is chained to a guard on each side, and he says, I've learned to be content. I'd have to go to school a while longer for that one myself. What's God teaching you about contentment in monetary things? What about your singleness? Some of you struggle with that because you really desire to be married. And marriage is a wonderful gift. But you know so a singleness? Paul says, I have learned to be content. Personally, I think, Paul had been married earlier in his life, and for reasons we don't know because we're not told, he certainly was not married in the time of his apostleship, his writing of Scripture. He was single. And he says, I've learned to be content. Can you? Some of you are struggling with infertility. Up to this point in your lives, God has not blessed you with children. Can you learn to be content in what God has given you at this point in your life together? You're complete in Jesus Christ. You know you don't have to have children to be complete. You don't have to be married to be complete. You don't have to be rich to be complete. Because my Bible says in Jesus Christ you have already been made complete with abiding results. He says, another implication of this is that you can stand alone for righteousness. We fear to stand alone. We think, oh, I can't do it by myself. Yes, you can. You can go to that family reunion 
And you can stand for Jesus Christ even if you're the only Christian in the whole family. You can be the lone Christian in that professional association that you belong to. You can stand alone in your peer group. Why? Because you're complete in Jesus Christ. Those who don't know Christ around you, frankly, are not complete. But you are in Christ. Finally, you can find your identity in Jesus Christ alone. Some people find their identity in other things. They find it, for example, in their ability. Yesterday, some of the men of our church gathered for a pancake breakfast here, which, by the way, was wonderful. Lots of pancakes and uh, fatty sausage. Tastes so good. And then we heard Jeff Seaman speak, who played for the Vikings. You know something I so appreciate about this man? Oh, he can tell stories about football that keep you on the edge of your chair. But his identity is not found in having played football for the Vikings. Some people find their identity in what they do. Some people find their identity in being busy, even busy in ministry. Oh, they're running here and they're running there and people are looking to them. And my, they feel like they're worth something because all these people are coming to them. My Bible says in Jesus Christ we're complete, not because we have people coming to us, not because we have abilities of this sort or that, but because we're in Christ. That's our identity. That's our completeness. In Jesus Christ, I need nothing. In Jesus Christ, I can want nothing. In Jesus Christ, I can lose nothing. In Jesus Christ, I can gain nothing because Jesus Christ is my all in all. You're ready for the inspection if you're in Jesus Christ. God can take his flashlight out and come into your life. And what he's going to find there is all clean, forgiven, and justified, and sanctified, and pardoned, and glorified, and complete if you're in Jesus Christ. How wonderful is this gift of God that we call completeness. Let's pray together. Father, may our hearts today just soak in this truth. We need it. We need it. And may we shun every other false attempt to find fulfillment and completion and determine that your word is true, that if we have trusted in Jesus Christ, we have been filled full in him, and we are complete. In his name we pray. Amen.